You're listening to Search for Truth, your Bible study program with your teacher, Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in. Now, we revisit Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9 again this week to discover what is meant by the word works. In the previous three weeks, Brian's looked at words such as salvation, grace and faith to take the mystery out of them, which could become biblical jargon and meaningless to non-Christians. Brian is a missionary worker who spends a lot of time and effort with the people of the Philippines. Preaching and teaching, he relates some of his experiences in his talk today in telling us what the Bible means by works. So, here's Brian. Thanks, John. As you say, when I was preparing these studies in which we are now working together through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, I found myself in a country that's been dominated for some four centuries by one particular religious outlook, one that was imported to these islands by Spanish explorers. In the national daily newspapers, there are regular reports on press releases from Vatican City and Rome. From a source such as these, I was most interested to read a transcript of a Vatican radio message saying that Pope Francis had visited the crypt beneath St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican one evening. The report went on to say that he'd gone there, quotes, for a time of private prayer for the repose of the souls of his predecessors in the office of Bishop of Rome who have departed this life, end quote. Let me come back to that in a moment, but first let me tell you that During days in this country where I was preparing this message, I often visit the simple homes of anyone willing to talk about ultimate issues. Many of them are interested in such topics, it turns out, and I listen as my local colleague engages them in their dialect, and I follow carefully their discussion as he gently leads up to asking if they are sure all their sins are forgiven, and as a result, if they are confident they have a place reserved for them in heaven. It's always good to plan for the future, isn't it? And before I travel to each new area, I would always make a reservation in some kind of lodge or inn or basic hotel there. It's reassuring to know where you're going, even if much else about the journey may be unfamiliar. The Apostle Peter encourages us to think that way too, about the ultimate journey we each have to make when life is over for us. He talks about the Christian hope of obtaining an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for those who are true Christian believers. In that country we've been referring to, we find many who are ready to express the understanding that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity. They state this very readily, but their confidence quickly fades to hesitation when asked if they are certain of a personal reservation in heaven. Not sure, they say, thinking that it will depend in some way on their own performance. That it should be like this isn't surprising, as they have a generational respect for the Pope. And returning to what we mentioned earlier, here it gets reported on Vatican Radio that Pope Francis had been visiting the Vatican crypt in order to pray for the safe repose of the departed souls of previous popes. This hardly inspires confidence among the general population. If a pope can't be sure of making it, then we might well ask, who can? If they're going to be more sure than the pope himself, then they're going to have to think of themselves as outperforming the pope something they definitely shy away from thinking. 
I contrast these doubtful locals with others I recall encountering on a never-to-be-forgotten afternoon in the forested, mountainous interior. Some of my other friends and co-workers had been sharing God's word, based around the very text that we're exploring in this series. I probably don't need to remind you again that it comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we've already defined the salvation here as being salvation from God's final judgment, with the means being by God's grace, that is, his unmerited favour towards us, and accessed by genuine action-based faith on our part. When I visited this remote village among the rubber trees that gave the villagers their cash crop, I must confess I was a little unprepared for their enthusiasm, which contrasted vividly with the hesitation I'd encountered in the city suburbs. A dozen of them that afternoon either stabbed their finger at the text or else recited it with an excitement that was contagious. They positively beamed when they announced to me, the priests never told us this. They'd freshly discovered from their new Bibles that God is good, he's gracious, and they could be, and so evidently had been, saved from future condemnation by faith through the grace of God. They were so insistent, and the refrain was so often repeated that afternoon that I could hardly refrain from sharing it in their language just now, quoting them as they testified to me that their newfound salvation was word for word translated into English through faith by the grace of God. I remember sheltering in a thatched hut from the tropical sun and thinking to myself that they'd made Martin Luther's historic discovery some 500 years after him. If I ever needed proof positive that the Bible is God's living and active word, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of any human heart, I certainly received it that day. Here were radiant faces and transformed lives. What overflowing joy later to climb aboard an overcrowded pickup truck with them and head to the nearest mountain river where they publicly witnessed, through believers' baptism by full immersion in water, they witnessed to their readiness to follow Christ as Lord. They understood and readily affirmed this act was only the public sign of what had already transpired in their hearts. The mention of a river reminds me of a story, or at very least an illustration, I once heard of a man who got into difficulty in some water. Thankfully, none of our friends did while we were baptising them. But this other incident might well have been tragic. Apparently, the river currents involved were treacherous. Onlookers on the riverbank watched the efforts of the drowning man, his own desperate efforts to save himself. They watched them become fainter and more feeble. Among the onlookers that day was a highly experienced lifeguard. His eyes were fixed on the swimmer, who was clearly in great danger of drowning. He was tiring and slowly settling lower in the water. Help him! What are you waiting for? The crowd urged the lifeguard but still he remained motionless, but never even for one moment taking his gaze from the drowning man. The crowd were in shock and disbelief. The man had now almost sunk out of sight. He was no longer making any movement at all. At that precise moment, the lifeguard dived into the treacherous current. With his strength and skill, he soon had the helpless man on the riverbank 
where he made a full recovery. The relieved crowd berated the lifeguard. You almost left that too late. What on earth were you thinking? The lifeguard then explained that for as long as the drowning man was trying so desperately to save himself, any intervention on his part would surely have endangered both of them. Two drownings would have been the probable result in such turbulent water. What a lesson that brings us. And on the very topic we're considering, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 6, While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ's rescue work on our behalf becomes effective in saving us when we recognise we are unable to help ourselves. In this matter of our eternal salvation from guilt and condemnation before a holy God, the saying you sometimes hear, God helps those who help themselves, is absolutely and totally false. It's a lie. But there's an even bigger lie going around all over the world. You've heard it. Nearly everyone has. It's a religious lie. It comes in many different forms. But basically, this is what it says. The world's biggest lie says, live the best life you can. And when you come to stand before God, he'll weigh up all the good things you've done and then all the bad things you've done. And if the good outweighs the bad, he'll let you into heaven. That is the most sinister, fake news there's ever been. Let's refresh ourselves with the liberating truth of God's good news for sinners. As we all are, we're all sinners. It's those texts that we know so well again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's another verse, one Paul wrote to Christian believers in Galatia, in which he says that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. That's Galatians 2 verse 16. We do well to stress what that verse is saying. It's saying that in all of history, there's never been anyone born of a human father who's ever succeeded in making himself or herself acceptable to God by his or her own efforts or own religious observance of any sort. Not one. Anyone misguided enough to think they might be the one to do it should consider the force of Paul's words later in that same Bible chapter, this time found in verse 21. There he says that those who attempt to work for their salvation, who try to pay for forgiveness by self-help, deceived by the promise of any kind of religious observance, Paul says they are truly guilty of nullifying the grace of God and in effect are saying that Christ died needlessly. In this Bible letter we've just been referring to, Paul seems to consistently contrast the works of the law with the faith of Christ. The good news is we don't have to do the former, but we need to truly believe the latter. In this regard, Christ is frequently mentioned alongside Abraham, who was notable for his faith in leaving his own country, becoming a wanderer in a strange land, and not withholding anything from God. But these remarkable demonstrations of Abraham's faith are eclipsed totally by the faith of Christ. He left heaven, was homeless on this earth, and gave his all at the cross. His faith saves, frees, and justifies us when we endorse it with ours. In this way, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith.
So I remind you once again, there's a free book which can be yours if you write in, and it's an e-book, uh, digital, or a paper copy if you specify that specifically. We'd also be pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have after listening today. I'll be giving you the contact details shortly if you've got a pen and paper to hand. And the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. So if you'd like a copy, just ask for 60 Minutes to Raise the Dead. And as I said, you can do this by post or email. And here's our postal address first. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY UK. Search for Truth, PO Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria 3134, Australia. Search for Truth, PO Box 70115, Chilomani, Blantyre, Malawi. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And did you also know that by looking up Churches of God? Dot info forward slash media you'll find our church's main website where you can download some actual programs and the uh, accompanying transcripts as well as finding other helpful material now we truly value the pleasure of your company here at search for truth so many thanks for making the effort to be with us i look forward to you joining me again next week if you're able to when we'll be asking which boast is excluded? If you're puzzled, as I was, then join us next time to find out which boast is excluded. But until then, it's bye for now and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. Please.